0: Okay, so Shauna, I think I'm having a midlife crisis.
1: <laughs> oh no, wait a minute. Uh, is this a laugh to keep from crying or do, do we have like real life symptoms? Are you going out to buy the, the proverbial Ferrari? What's going on? Well,
0: I don't have enough money to buy a pro- proverbial Ferrari, but I certainly, am like constantly looking at things to buy, but nothing that extreme.
1: <laughs> right, 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 right. Um,
0: yeah. I don't know. Uh, I just feel like I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And I feel like at this age, I should probably know that answer. So then I'm like, oh, it must be midlife crisis.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah. So the uh, the myth that we need to have it all together by a certain age. And if not, we just might as well just, it's it's like that meme where you throw all the papers in the air, like, forget right. this and just walk yeah. off. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, you know, it is Women's History Month. And I am just curious now, because usually when I hear of midlife crisis, it's always kind of attached to the men's identity rather yeah, than yeah. us. And so I'm like, mm, let, let's talk about this, because this could be interesting. I mean, we're not going to diagnose you today, Lisa, but I do think you're bringing up a great point. Okay. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne Gold and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. All right, Lisa. So what do we know about this midlife crisis thing? Because, you know, I've heard of the Ferrari. I've heard of, you know, men having the girlfriends. And at the very least for women, the only thing that I ever remember hearing about a midlife crisis is uh, Dorothy's Bornak on Golden Girls being told to go color her hair and she would feel better. (laughs) literally I I, that's all I can think of in relationship to a midlife crisis and women so I'm interested now
0: that that is kind of funny because I did just get color in my hair and I got bangs cut too and I haven't had bangs which in England we would call fringes um like since I was a kid And I don't color my hair because then I can't donate it. But I was like, I'm not going to donate my hair for a little while. I'm just going to. So I went with a pinky, reddy, rose Mm goldy kind of color. So
1: Mm -hmm. I'm
0: right in line then with what you have heard about the symptoms of a midlife crisis.
1: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Now, see, I. I cut all of my hair off. And then one of my girlfriends said to me, um, she sent me this quote, I forget who it was by, but it said something to the effect of when a woman cuts her hair, she's about to change her life or something connected to that. Oh, so really? it was a, a positive sentiment. So I don't know, we could go either way with the, the haircut and color, Lisa. Yeah. Um, but look, what, what do we know about a midlife crisis though? Because I realized that it's kind of like this you know, kind of a wandering type situation where you're kind of figuring things out, you know, you know that you don't have it figured out. And it's kind of like, do I give up on trying to figure it out? Or how do I construct or reconstruct my life here? Um, Mm -hmm. Are you feeling some of that? Or what's going on here?
0: Yeah, I am. And I also think what you mentioned in the intro you know, around kind of that archetype of midlife crisis is whenever I hear that phrase, midlife crisis, I think of a dude who is cheating on his partner and buys a red fast car, right? Like, I feel like Uh, i very, very typical, but I feel like that is just the image that is been pushed. So then if women um feel similarly right feel like they're flailing or whatever then I would bet that a lot of people are not even identifying it a lot of women are not even identifying it as a midlife crisis right so I say I have I mean a midlife crisis in jest because partly Mm. because I think what that means for women has never really been explored in any um, significant way to the point where you and I could say, boom, this is what it looks like for a woman, right? We could go there to the stereotype with men, but we can't do that with women necessarily outside of the
1: hair color or the haircut, maybe. Right, right, right. Well, and and that's what's really curious because you know, when we look at some of the, you know, the data, you know, Lisa and I love the data, the data tells us that midlife crises are diagnosed across men and women almost equally, 13% for women and 15% for men. But it seems like we only have good descriptors for what men experience and almost no description of what women experience, which I think is really interesting. And, you know, I wonder whether women may experience midlife crises in such a way that you know it's so confusing they're not quite clear what they're experiencing you know whether it's a oh i'm unhappy with my partner or i'm unhappy with my job or i'm unhappy with my body i need to do something or you know one of the articles that we read about was you know quote unquote midlife crisis feelings especially with a woman and the empty nest and not having the caretaking of children to distract them from whatever they're feeling. And so, you know, I think all of this is interesting because like every element of this is questionable. Gender, age, uh, uh, means, level of access, all these different things. It's like, okay, just like you mentioned earlier, how do we diagnose and deal with this when we don't have the coins in the bank to get the the proverbial Ferrari? Like what's right. what are our next steps here? I don't know. I have no idea.
0: Well, and you had said to me, what is even midlife, right? At what point do we put a pin in a number or a range right. in terms of the years? Right. Because, well, all the informational websites out there, some good, some bad, have different ranges, right? And then I think that that range is most likely modeled off of white people and probably white men would be my guess.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, as soon as I looked at the, the average from, from one of them, the average was what, 45 to 65? Right. And depending on your gender, depending on your race, and definitely depending on your socioeconomic status and where you may physically live, that number is drastically different. You know, if you're a man of color, that's going to be much lower than, you know, a white male or even a white female for that matter. And so that's when, you know, race and gender and socioeconomic status and, you know, even uh, racism, environmental racism may come in because you may live in an area of the country where people don't live very long, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I think all of this is fascinating. Um, And especially too, I think what was fascinating when we looked at some of these numbers, there were a lot of folks that lived beyond a hundred, um, that are outside of the U S you know, Japan and, uh, France, for example. And so, you know, part of me is thinking, okay, what doesn't allow us in the U S to live a long time.
0: <laughs> What's keeping us from
1: living a long time here. I don't know.
0: Do you have like, you know, a
1: hundred years to talk about that? <laughs> right. Ex- look, we better talk fast because I don't know. I mean, I just, you know, I I've been very fortunate where, um, you know, my, quote unquote, youngest grandparent passed away at 88 years old. And I know that is a huge anomaly compared to most. Um, My last living grandparent is 96 and will hopefully uh, turn 97 in August. And so I know that that's not the reality for most people. I'm hopeful that that is me. And so I'm around midlife for for 80 something, 90 something right now. Um, But I know that's not the case for most people. And what in the world do we do about it? Are we using, you know, are we using endurance sport to get us to, through, and beyond that midlife crisis? Or is some of our midlife crisis, because our identity has changed in regard to sport, we got a lot going on and we haven't even factored in the pandemic yet in this conversation.
0: Oh, gosh. Yeah. And I do. So, you know, the yardstick or the proverbial yardstick that things are measured on is the it's the white dude who is middle to upper class, probably. And, um, you know, everyone else has been completely left out of that equation. And all of those socio cultural environmental factors are going to make a huge difference. And then, you know, I think about women in particular, or folks um, who identify as women, and the pressure around aging and looks and body and being considered attractive and all of those external pressures and I wonder Mm -hmm. how that affects people's engagement in endurance sport right whether they take up a sport change sports that sort of thing Um, because when I again when I think about kind of a midlife crisis archetype it's also the white dude doing an iron man you know, like I don't really Ooh, see a yeah. lot of literature or uh, imagery that is representative of that 45 to 65 year old woman taking up a goal. I mean, it's there, it's there, right? Um, and I, Absolutely. I, do, I do see it in the sense because I'm looking for it, but it's not mainstream in the same way that that image of um, the white guy with the car, or the Iron Man, or the hundred mile race, or whatever is um, elevated, you know. So it, I am curious to understand what does it mean for women at this m- midpoint in their life, whatever range that is, in terms of those external pressures around looks and body and attractiveness, mm. and the correlation with taking up sport or doing something different actively.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, I'm even thinking about the differences, Lisa, between, you know, let's consider if Shauna was a high school and collegiate athlete and did triathlon to stay in shape after college and more recently stopped competing. That's quite different from Lisa, who may have never been uh, very athletic at all and picked it up as part of her. So uh, it may be a picking up or putting down of endurance sport, depending on what you've done up to the midlife crisis that you're feeling. Right. Because I was not athletic until I actually got into my thirties, you know? Yeah. And so given that, you know, uh, I kind of picked it up around midlife where other people are like, Ugh, okay, I've done enough. I've swam, I've biked, I've run everywhere. You know, I have a friend of mine right now who's done Kona twice that, you know, she retired at her last Kona and she turned 42 and she's done. Cause she wants to do something different. You know, all of that, I think that shifting at midlife may determine whether people pick up endurance sport or put it down or, or even change roles within endurance sport you know, so there, there's so many different options for it. Maybe some people say, I don't want to compete anymore. I just want to coach now or whatever it may be, or may I want to work with youth now because I don't want to compete anymore, but they're still, they have a touch point, but it's just different. It's very different.
0: Yeah. That's a really great point you're making around whether you choose to engage in sport based on kind of these external pressures or whether those external pressures affect you differently because you've been doing sport for so long. Right. And that And then also, so then if you're in a midlife, in your midlife, and you might be experiencing some crises type feelings, right, and you decide to pull back from sport, is that, um, is that real, quote unquote real, in the sense that it's what you really want to do, or it's really these feelings around midlife and your kind of direction that's leading you to do that? And then what are the consequences Mm. for women who step back from sport right because of this culture that we live in where if you don't if you're not active therefore you must be unhealthy
1: Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the oh see now you got me going in another direction lisa about you know if you're not active then therefore you must be unhealthy I think that's exacerbated even more depending on what body type you have. And so, you know, when you're thinking about, you know, let's say you have someone who doesn't fit the stereotypical triathlete body and they take a one year break for whatever reasons, then all of a sudden this person is overweight, obese, morbidly obese, et cetera. When it's like, no, they're just choosing not to stay fit in that way. There's more than one way to stay fit than right, endurance right. sport. You can do it in lots of different ways. Or we, you know, we see people do CrossFit or there's, you know, so many different things to pull from. Um, I'm even thinking of, about a friend of mine who used to be a ba- ballerina, did a triathlon for many years and then went back to teaching dance as her method of staying fit. Th- there's just so many ways to do it. I'm wondering if we are creating a a one size fit all response to very unique midlife crises. Like the solution is not going to be the same for everybody here. And so it would be smart for us to create like a a laundry list of things to choose from and whichever one floats your boat, go for it. Um, But it's just, yeah, it's, it's unique. And I think it's going to depend on all of those multiple identities to even figure that out. What makes you really happy in the moment? You know, maybe just walking your dog makes you happy right now. And that's okay, depending on the backdrop that you're in.
0: So what does it mean, do you think then for endurance sports in, you know, marketing kind of a business development um, perspective around targeting individuals who might be going through this transition, who might not be your typical, so not your white dude, going through this transition given what we mentioned earlier around there isn't necessarily a universal range for the quote-unquote midlife crisis because midlife based on your identities and these environmental social cultural factors economic factors looks different so do you think that means that endurance sport uh organizations can't really market, shouldn't really market to this group of people because it's such an amorphous group based on no one size fits all. I mean, what do you think about that?
1: Oh, that's such a good question because, you know, part of me initially thinks that it's a little predatory. Um, because it, it feels very much like and Lisa, you know where I'm coming from, because I've had this conversation with you yeah. before, where either someone um DNS's a race or DNFs a race and before they can even get home and unload their bike and untie their shoes, they've already gotten the email saying, hey, we know you didn't have a great day, maybe you should go ahead and register for next year. And it's like, wait a minute, I haven't even processed what the hell just happened to me today. Um, So I think it can go predatory in some ways. But then yeah. too, I think it can be, uh, I, I just would hope that it would be con- presented as an option rather than a, you're nobody unless you do this, right? And, and that's part of what I've, um, I don't think I've necessarily had a midlife crisis. I've had a lot of life changes happened in the last couple of years. And one of those things that has changed for me was I used to think, okay, you're, you're nobody in the endurance world, unless you eventually become an Ironman or um, eventually do this distance or this particular race or Alcatraz or whichever race. And I turned that corner where I said, yeah, I still want to do it. And I think I'm in a healthier place around it. Yeah, I still want to do it. But if I never do it, that doesn't make me less of a person. It doesn't make me less um, athletic. It doesn't make me less worthy of being a triathlete in any shape or form. It's something that would be a cherry on top, not the cake itself. And so if I do it one day, wonderful. If I don't do it, I'll live. Um, right, and right. and that was a completely different mindset change. And You know, I think some of that needs to happen versus endurance sport preying on the emotional fragility of people um, in this time frame. You know, I, I think, you know, midlife can be an emotionally fragile time. Definitely now during a pandemic where people have lost so many friends, family, loved ones, maybe even rekindling friendships with people after having to be apart. I I think we're all emotionally fragile in different ways. I don't think we should play on that. You know, I I don't think we should take that lightly. Let me put it that way.
0: That is such a great point. Like, that is such a great point, Shauna, in terms of the, it's exploitative, right? So we know culturally there is this Mm -hmm. somewhat ill-defined midlife crisis. And we know that um, in a midlife crisis, people tend to spend money that have it right. Whether that's on an Ironman race or a car or something else. And we know that um, sport is sometimes folded into that because of all those cultural pressures, particularly for women, but also for folks of other genders in terms of aging and fitness and such. And so then endurance sports organizations or sport organizations broadly engaging with that as a predatory exploitative um yeah technique which they may not be framing as such right because they might be thinking right. it's a market they could capitalize on but really right. what the ethics what are the ethics of doing that
1: right um, right it hits right
0: right up against the bottom line in terms of mm-hmm. ways it's kind of like thinking about diversity and inclusion and how do we engage more women and more folks of color and more folks with disabilities in certain sports and then mar- and then talking to businesses about that. It's a good business prospect, right? Like right. there's a whole market available to you that you're not tapping into, <clears throat> excuse me. And then thinking about, you know, this could make you money. Um, right. Right. And right. that has been the trajectory, right? That has been how, Many of us have had to articulate the reason to think about marketing and engaging with communities that don't, that aren't male and white and able bodied, because Mm -hmm. that's kind of what organizations have historically heard. But there's something Mm -hmm. fundamentally wrong about that, I suppose. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause if, if it's the only reason why you're doing this, that you're going to expand your market, et cetera, if that's the only reason why you're doing it, I think it's predatory. You know, I I think that's very predatory and I think, you know, so I found this uh, link. I'll share it with you on life hack that talks about the signs of midlife crisis. And they have this list. And for me, this is where it gets interesting because every single sign on the list has also been noted as a sign of the challenges that many of us have felt as a result of the pandemic. And so now my question is, how do you know the difference between a midlife crisis and pandemic responses, given that this is the first time most of us living have have gone through a pandemic? So things like mood swings depression and anxiety sleeplessness or oversleeping having an obsession with appearances many of us because some of us have been in uh yoga pants for two years now you know for whatever reasons right um increased consumption of drugs or alcohol feeling stuck in a rut thoughts of death or dying so um uh, suicidal ideation for some Many of those have been identified by mental health professionals. Lisa and I are not mental health professionals. Let me put the caveat there. But m- many of those have been identified as mental health professionals as part of what's been folded into most people's responses to the pandemic. And so now my question is you know, I don't want the flippant, non helpful response of this too shall pass um because i've heard that before even when i was in not so great places i've heard that before and it wasn't very helpful um and i also would love to know should we respond to this very broadly um because any and everyone on the planet has been touched by the pandemic you know i h- how do we wrap the whole globe in mental health support right now like how do we do that we can't, we can't just tell everybody go register for a race right now and you'll be happy not saying that but I think there's something to the fact that those uh, symptoms are similar, like almost exactly the same on that list. That's really. And then, yeah. How do we going back to your point on how we target those folks, or if we mm. even should target them? I don't yeah. know.
0: Yeah, and then there's also an alignment there around depression, right? So because I think the the experience yes. of the pandemic certainly could have precipitated depression in the clinical sense, but the experience of the pandemic itself is a thing, right? So it's not necessarily depression. So you've got the experience of the pandemic and this kind of fatigue and blah, yes. and there's an end yes. that I'm not thinking of. And then you've got depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. and then midlife crisis. And it seems like what you're seeing is all of those symptoms are very fluid. And so how do you even determine outside of a mental health professional who may also not be effective at determining it. Right. Because it, there was this shit, right. there are various shades of blue I'm going to say, and not gray. So mm-hmm. I think that that's mm-hmm. an important um, point
1: for us mm-hmm. to think about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so I, I think we, you know, when we first started with this conversation, y'all, we were kind of like, you know, this is interesting. Let's talk about this tongue in cheek, knowing that obviously we want to be very respectful of everyone who is on a mental health um, spectrum, because Lisa, I don't know about you, but I feel like if you're human and breathing, you're on a mental health spectrum. It's just a matter of where you are on that spectrum. Um, and so given that we want to be respectful of that, but also know that this is a unique experience that may play itself out in endurance sport, because I don't know about you, Lisa, but before the pandemic, you're doggone right. Endurance sport was my place of peace. Endurance sport was a safe haven to not have to think about certain things, um, especially um I think I've shared this with you before, Lisa. So um, my youngest son, when he was born um, almost eight years ago, he was in NICU at the very same time that my grandfather passed away, which really served as kind of a father to me, a father figure to me. So I spent the first year and a half of Kendrick's life. And after my grandfather's passing, Mm -hmm. those workouts and races were the couple of hours of peace and happiness I had out of the 24 each day. And I clung to it. And so I'm just imagining now, I, I don't feel that way now, but I'm imagining people who are going through a tough time or a dark time may want to use it for that. And so how do we make space for folks to use endurance sport in a healthy manner without the endurance sport community preying on that? hmm I don't have an answer Lisa I have no no idea how to answer that question
0: I don't know and I feel like my you know midlife crisis if indeed that what it is is I'm kind of like I want to do something different I'm tired of doing the same things but then I also have historically always been tired of doing the same things so like one of the pieces of working in higher education that I never liked was the academic year and it was just on repeat right um and so it was ultimately the same um largely the same structure over and over and over again. And you had some capacity to tweak it, but it was pretty much the same thing. And I've never really enjoyed that kind of relentlessly the same environment. So part of me is like, is that just who, is that just me? Is that just a thing that I have that I'm now, you know, 11 years mm. on, and I've done, I don't want to do triathlon anymore. Um, or mm-hmm. is that a mm-hmm. representation of this midlife flailing feeling that I'm having, or is it none of the above? Right. And there's very little Mm. out there related to women, um, and how to discern that, you know, outside of getting a quote unquote counselor. And I'm very much in favor of a counselor. I mean, counseling. So I think everyone should Mm -hmm. do that. Um,
1: absolutely. But it's,
0: I feel like it's a little bit more nuanced than that too. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely more nuanced. And, you know, what, what I appreciate about this whole conversation is that, you know, that flailing feeling, you know, it's. I appreciate that a lot of people think they're the only ones flailing when we have a lot of people flailing and a lot of us trying to figure things out. Some folks trying to rebuild their lives from scratch because of certain reasons, or some people just trying to refashion it and figure it out. Things that you may have loved, you know, one or two years ago. Now it's like, it almost makes you physically sick to even think about, you know, that type of thing. You know, all of that I think is important for us to hold you know, in ways that we can interpret and reinterpret what endurance sport looks like for us moving forward, you know, because it, it, I think Lisa, to your point of, you know, 11 years in a triathlon, I'm so grateful. It doesn't have to look the same moving forward. Like, you know, you could have been, you know, an Ironman for the last 10 years, but this year you want to volunteer with, you know, kids at a youth center who are trying to figure out triathlon or, teach people how to swim or, you know, whatever it is. I'm just grateful that we have enough roles within the endurance sport community that if we want to shift around, we can, if we want to exit, we can, if we want to re-enter later, we can, it's just, you know, there's a lot of options, but I don't want to separate that from the mental health piece that we all need to kind of hold and consider as we kind of figure it out. So I'm figuring along with you. I don't even know if midlife crisis is the right language for, for what I think about and deal with on a day-to-day, but it's, it is an oddity. Let me put it that way. It's, it's, it's abnormal. That doesn't mean it's completely unhealthy, but it's not my usual in trying to figure out what's mm-hmm. going to be the new usual or the new normal or whatever this thing called life is right now. Who knows?
0: Yeah, definitely. And I do think endurance sports organizations could probably benefit from thinking about in what ways are they unintentionally or intentionally exploiting people who are going through kind of an identity crisis, so to speak, or a midlife crisis? And perhaps rather than exploiting those individuals' capacity to rashly spend money, um, could they um, develop ways to engage Uh, folks in midlife where whatever that midlife is right in meaningful way Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily kind of take advantage of their emotionally fragile state I think was how you framed it um yeah Yeah. you know like what articles exist in endurance sport magazines related to this right and how that Mm. endurance sport and participation or not and the pressures around that like I think um that might be a really good piece parentheses Mm -hmm. Kelly Amara but I think that um, right it's something we need to think about particularly for women who have um, and uh, non-binary folks and trans folks who have largely been left out of this mid-crisis midlife crisis conversation
1: absolutely
0: hell yeah
1: hell no so where should we go with the hell yeah and the hell no for this week because there there's been a lot to celebrate recently um, so I would love just to highlight uh, our Supreme Court justice nominee, Ketanji Woo-hoo. Brown Jackson. Woo-hoo. I hope I'm pronouncing her first name correctly because I really tried. But uh, the Honorable Judge Jackson, I am thrilled about this nomination. We'll see how this plays out um, with um, all, all the congressional hearings, because uh Judge Jackson was actually confirmed for D.C. um, appellate court, what, almost two years ago now, which I think was part of the strategy behind um, selecting her because, um, you know, the three Republicans that um, supported her, um, they're still in office. And so it would be hard to say two years later that they don't support her for this as well. But who knows what can happen? Oh, my Um, gosh, it's not going to be hard
0: for them. Isn't one of them Lindsey Graham? Like my little political soapbox aside this is the dude that said you can come back to me and say that you i shouldn't be if this was a switch around um there mm-hmm. being x number of months left in a presidential um tenure and a oh. supreme court nomination comes up and we shouldn't do it yes. and should blah 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 and then just like totally didn't stick to what he had said and switcheroo I think- yeah. And I think he's now saying that she's like completely quote unquote leftist and radical. And that doesn't mean shit, right? Like you're just using these keywords <sighs> for people because it's a a trigger. So I don't know. I'm like very skeptical, but I am excited. Yay. Women's history month.
1: Yeah. yay!
0: So well, excited. I guess. Yeah. Like that's yay.
1: <sighs> I'm super excited. Well, and you know, here, here's my other piece too, is that, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that they, um, Revere some of the history that precedes her because um, I've heard from more than one news outlet that um, Judge Brown um, and Thurgood Marshall are the only two um, to possibly sit on the Supreme Court who have ever been public defenders. And that means a lot when you're talking about serving the people and being closer to the pulse of the human experience rather than further detached. So
0: for me, the
1: honor of having your name um, in the same sentences as Thurgood Marshall is profound. Um, so we'll see Lisa. Yes. I agree with you that it should, it should be hard, uh, to rethink their stance on her. But again, we've seen a lot of stuff happen over the last, what we, I still feel that we are traumatized from the politics of the United States of America from the last, what, at least the last 16 years.
0: Yeah. possibly yeah. that
1: we've been through. So you're right. We should not be surprised when anything happens. However, I'm super hype. I am so excited. Mm-hmm. I am so excited. My, my girlfriend, Lisa, who I just adore, she texted me um, and said, girl, we got to talk and she called me and we talked about the um we, we talked about the nominee. And one of the things that we talked about specifically is that judge Brown is blackity, black, black, black. Okay. All the way black. No offense to vice president Harris, no offense to anyone who is fair skinned and less melanated. However, there is a statement when it comes to colorism and individuals who are selected that are undisputably, undeniably black, whether it's their skin tone or their hair that you cannot question. There are a lot of black people that are very excited about her nomination in general, and also that we see ourselves in her. So I'll just leave it there, but we are hype about this nomination. I am thrilled um, and excited yep. to see what happens.
0: I am thrilled too. And all the days yeah. out there that are calling that it's discrimination, I have some choice words for you that I won't share on the podcast.
1: Anywho, I know that's right. Exactly.
0: So I have another hell yeah. And I know we're supposed to do one Ooh. hell yeah, one hell no, but- okay us women's soccer that information broke at the end of february that they an yes. agreement with um us soccer related to the equal pay and so that has been a long and drawn out battle and i am so glad they stuck with it i'm sure it's not everything that they want and hope but it sounds like it is a pretty giant leap in the right direction
1: Oh yeah. I, I know it's one of those things where obviously I know they had to make some compromises, but I'm so grateful that they stuck it out. Some of the folks that were um, some of the athletes, excuse me, that were listed in the original suit. They're not even playing anymore. Some of them, but they did this for, you know, literally, you know, this is not a pun at all, but the game changing history of what this can do for future athletes. And so I am thrilled. I'm super excited. Um, you know, for all, even for the fence riders, even for many of the men who said, yeah, we want women to get equitable pay, but it has to be based on, you know, the market and who's paying to see XYZ. I call bullshit on all of that. I don't care who's watching. I don't care if one person is watching on TV. They're doing the same job that men are doing and in many times performing better than the men's team give them Uh, their money
0: pretty much. Most of the time, pretty
1: most of the time, run them their coins, give them their money. Okay. Thank you very much. We are thrilled. Thrilled.
0: Yes. Okay. So I have a hell nah, but it's rather generic. So my, okay. My hell nah is um, to all the naysayers (laughs) against judge Katanchi Brown Jackson Jackson against the U S women's soccer equal pay suit. um, And Uh, all the folks uh, who are calling um, discrimination against white people or men in relation to those two things. I am like big fat Mm -hmm. to you. I don't
1: have time for you this month. (laughs) So, so Lisa, what, what I hear you saying is I'm using my coaching voice. Now, what I hear you (gasps) saying is that you're, you're, seeming midlife crisis doesn't allow you to have the patience to ever even entertain the foolishness is that what I what's good.
0: good that's a good reflection there of what i'm saying nice summary
1: hell no absolutely yes
0: unfazed a podcast produced by live feisty media and supported by the outspoken women in triathlon summit edited and produced by the
1: fabulous Lindsay glassford
0: email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at dr gold speaks or at outspoken women in try i'm lisa
1: i'm shauna thanks for listening stay unfazed folks see you next time